Today's sermon text is Mark 7, verses 31 to 37. In it, we read of the healing of a deaf mute, and it's an event that is mentioned only in Mark. Jesus healed many, many people. Uh, in John 21, verse 25, we read that there are many other things that Jesus did. It was every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Hyperbole, I'm sure, but you get the point. Jesus did many things. The disciples are the apostles, the gospel writers, had to decide, guided, of course, by the Holy Spirit, which events they would choose to communicate to us. And so we are left to wonder, why is it that Mark would choose to tell this specific story? Let's take a look at Mark 7, 31 to 37, and see if we can figure that out. If you're able, out of respect for God's word, please rise as I read Mark 7, 31 to 37. This is the inspired word of God. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray once more with me? Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word. We pray that even as Christ Jesus in this text opened the ears of a deaf man, so would you open our ears that we might hear your truth today. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So you recall that last week, as we looked at our text, Jesus was in the Gentile region of Tyre and Sidon. And, and there he, he commended the great faith of a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite, a Gentile, a stranger to the covenants of promise. And he delivered her daughter from demon possession on, on the basis, on account of her great faith. And this week he continues on in Gentile territories. In verse 31, we saw that he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. Now the Decapolis is a region that, that had 10 cities in it. It comes from the word deco, meaning 10, polis meaning city, thus 10 cities. And in that region, you'll recall Jesus uh, had delivered a man back in Mark 5, verse 20, uh, from a legion of demons. It was a predominantly Gentile area. And 
And the one thing that's really odd about this is as we read this, that he went from Tyre to Sidon and then to the Decapolis, it's kind of a circuitous route that he has taken. Uh, maybe for illustration's sake, we say he was in Grand Rapids and he had to get to Flint, so he went through Mackinac City on his way down to Flint. You'd be like, well, that's, that's not the way you get to Flint from Grand Rapids. That's way out of the way. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He went this very circuitous route where he's right here and he went up here to get down to here. The trip's about 120 miles or so. And, and as he follows this north, east, south horseshoe on foot, we're, we're left to wonder, why did he do this? And as you look at all the commentaries and, and all the different people with their thoughts about it, the, the best answer, that uh, the most sure answer, I'd say, that, that anybody came up with was, was R.C. Sproul. And he said, I don't know. Right? Well, that, that's good. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that makes me feel a little bit better about not being sure. But, but of the other answers I found, this one was the most convincing for me. He said, by, by going through, I can't even remember which commentator it was, but one of them said that, that by going through the circuitous route, he remained in Gentile territory. Whereas if he had gone straight along the way, he would have had to pass back through Jewish territory. You recall, he's, he's uh, turned away from the Jewish authorities who have come against him. The scribes, the Pharisees who are, who are opposing him and who are, who are challenging him at every turn, and he has, he has turned toward the Gentiles, right? He who is the Jewish Messiah is preaching to those who are outside the covenants of promise. He is proclaiming that he indeed has come for all the world. And much as King Jesus found himself passing through and in a foreign land, so it is that we too in this day, find ourselves in many ways in a foreign land, don't we? It's, it's a land that, that many of us perhaps do not recognize. It seems different from how we thought things were. I, I, I look around and I see some things maybe are getting better, but many things are getting worse, very much worse. And I say this not to alarm you, not to scare you, not to worry you, but just to point out that the church and Christianity no longer hold the place of prominence in our society that they once did. But here's the good news. The church has always been at its best when it is a life-giving minority as opposed to a comfortable majority. And so Jesus in this passage gives us a model of how we might minister in the midst of a foreign land, right? There's this man, consider how terrible his situation is. He's deaf, he has this speech impediment, he can't speak well, uh, that, that makes sense. And, and he's probably most likely illiterate. Many people, most people actually were illiterate. They didn't have books in their houses like we do. They didn't have have the you know, phones that they can look up and read things on. So there wasn't this, this urgency for, for literacy that we have in our culture. So, so he, not being able to read, not being able to hear, was in a really bad spot. Not just for general things, but specifically, he was separated from the gospel. 
He could never hear the gospel. He could never hear the good news. And so he had one thing going for him. He had people who cared about him, people who knew that he needed to come to Jesus, people who brought him to Jesus, and people who pleaded with Jesus on his behalf. Right? And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. They begged Jesus to minister to his needs. And we see how Jesus did it. First off, he did it humbly. If we had an outline here, I guess that'd be our first point. Humbly. He ministered to him humbly. Not, not looking to, to become a hero in it, right? Not not because, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, well, uh, let's quick call, call our PR agent, right, and have him get in touch with the, the media and have them come in so there's, there's a camera here to catch this and, and all the news reporters can spread the word. No, he's not doing it to, to build up his reputation. He's not doing it to, to make much of himself. We can tell when we look at this passage. Verse 33, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he did this. Right? He, he pulls him aside. He, he doesn't do it in a very public place. He pulls him aside to privately do this because he's caring about him. He's not caring about himself. And after he does it even, you see in verse 36, he charges them to tell no one. Again, he's not wanting to build up his reputation. He's not wanting to uh, have people think, oh, isn't he incredible? And perhaps most of all, we see his humility in this, and that he is accommodating. Lots of times, we, we might be willing to help people, but, but we say, okay, we will help you on our terms, right? You, you've got to come to me. You've got to jump through my hoops. You've got to do things my ways. And if you will do the things that I require, then maybe I will help you. But God does not do this. Jesus accommodates. It, it's much like what he does in the scriptures. I love how, how Calvin talks in the scriptures. He says how, how all of the scriptures uh, are, are God's accommodation to us. It's, it's his lisping to us as if we were babies. Right? His lisping or babbling. You know how you talk to a little baby. You know, you look at you and say, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Uh, Ooh, boo-boo-boo-boo-boo-boo. Ma, 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 da, 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 da. Now, like, if you were to just, like, have conversations like that with people in general, right, that would be a little weird, right? But you see, that's because we have language. We can use it and talk. The baby does, isn't equipped with all of that. He can just make little noises. And so we accommodate to the little baby, and we, we speak in their language, we use their terms, their words, and we develop a relationship through that by accommodating to the baby. And so God does with the scriptures, right? When, when he speaks to us, he, he doesn't just unfold and, and uncover all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his magnificence and everything and just say, here it is. No, he gives us little glimpses, little pieces in languages that in language that we can understand, in bits that we can we can swallow, right? He accommodates us in this way. That's how God works with us, and it's how Jesus works here. See how he 
he takes him aside in verse 33, and he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched him on his tongue. Right? These touches don't actually accomplish the healing. He's not healed yet. That's not why he's doing it. It's not by touching him, he heals him. What he is doing here is he is communicating to the deaf, mute man what he is about to do. Right? He, he sticks his fingers in his ears to tell him, I'm going to fix your ears. And he touches his tongue, specifically telling him, I will give you speech. And, and even the spitting we see here, why spit? The tradition was, you know, and this is, you know, just the way people believed. I'm not saying it's right, but it was the way people believed at that time. The, the tradition was that, that miracle workers would use spit to work their wonders, right? And, and so, so Jesus is essentially saying by spitting and, and touching his tongue and touching his ears, I am going to work a miracle here. I am going to do a wonder whereby your hearing and your, your speech will be restored. They will be made whole. And he says it in a way that the deaf mute can understand. What grace, what, what kindness that he would do that. And you can imagine as the, the, the anticipation welled up within the man. And Jesus, we read, looked to heaven in verse 34 to, to signify to the man and to those who are watching. That we cannot accomplish these things on our own. We have to look to God. It is heaven and the God of heaven that accomplish these things. We need to be prayerful. We need to be looking to him. I've said it before many times, right? If, if Jesus needed to pray, then we need to pray, right? We need to rehearse his glories and adore him. We need to confess our sins and repent to him. We need to thank him for his many blessings and we need to pour out our requests and our burdens unto him every day right we we sang before ye who long pain and sorrow bear praise god and on him cast your care and that's something we need to be doing all the time right paul says in first thessalonians pray without ceasing Right, and the idea there obviously isn't that, well, don't do anything else, pray 24 hours a day, don't eat, don't sleep, just pray, 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 pray. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is throughout your whole day, you should be in a, a walking conversation with God, right? We should just re reflexively be talking to him all day. But we need to also set aside time because, because the reality is that, that if we just say, okay, I'm going to just pray all the time, you know, if you don't have a time for it, <laughs> that's just for it, it's funny how it just kind of never happens sometimes, right? So, so it's good to set aside a time, and I'm not telling you you have to do it in a certain way at a certain time, you know, at a certain time of day or, or whatever. That's not my job. But my job is to tell you that you need to pray. The Lord commands it, and it is good for us. That we do so. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says, if we would give sight to the blind, we must ourselves be gazing into heaven. So in the end, my advice on prayer comes down to the old Nike slogan, right? Just do it. Just do it. Jesus did. 
looking up to heaven. He sighed, we see in verse 34. And, and one more piece of accommodation there even, I think, through his sighing, right? What, what is sighing? You know, it, it, it's, it's when you have this, it's, it's, it's visible, right? Your, your shoulders drop, right? It's because there's this pain you're bearing, this sorrow you're bearing, this, this difficulty you're bearing, and, and you're tensed up, and you just, I need to let go of it. And there will be a day, as we saw in Isaiah 35, when sorrow and sighing shall flee away. But that day had not yet come, and he sighed. He felt the man's pain. And we see here the second way that he cared for him, the way he ministered to him, was not just humbly, but sympathetically. Sharing in his sorrow, sharing in his pain. He shared in his longing. He entered into the man's situation. That again is what Jesus does. He enters into our situation and bears our burdens, bears our sorrows, bears our pain. Right? He did so first and foremost at the cross. Of course, at the cross where the burden of our sin and all of its weight were laid upon him. He felt the sting and penalty and, and pain of sin. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Our griefs and our sorrows, our pain and its penalty, our sin and our death. He took them on himself and then he bore them off to the grave with him that they might be sealed away forever. But he did not stay in the grave. Here's the really good news. Hebrews 9 tells us that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are you eagerly waiting for him today? Does your heart cry out, come, Lord Jesus. Come, make things right. Come, set all things right how they should be. Come, make me into the person I should be. Is that what your heart's prayer is now? It indeed should be. But it's not just the salvation piece that he bears, that he gives us through bearing our sin. He, he bears our burdens every day. Psalm 68 tells us, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. Isaiah 58, 6, is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Right? He wants to break every yoke, and Jesus says, come to me all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He bears these things for you. He enters into your situation for you. So you need not be alone. And so the question is, if we are followers of Jesus, ought we not to do this for others as well? Is that something that you do? Do we enter into the brokenness of others? Do we enter into the brokenness of, of this world? And, and does it break your heart when you look around and see it? Do do, do tears come to your eyes when you see how broken other things are? Does it bring pain to your soul? Perhaps most importantly, does it prompt you to actually do something about it? 
Or do you just look at the chaos around you and say, not my problem. Thank God it, that's not how Jesus responded. It moved him and he said, Ephatha, that is be opened. He speaks in Aramaic there, Ephatha. He responds with action. He responds personally, right? He doesn't just tell his disciples to go take care of this. He says, I will do this. And so finally we see the third way he responds and ministers is actively. Actively. Not just, not just thinking that, you know, well, I want to be caring in my heart. I want to have good thoughts and good feelings. Right? I, I want to think the right things and, and such. And, and beyond that, not just actively in that, he's just keeping busy, right? I'm just doing some things and whatever, you know, so I can punch the holiness clock, right, and put in my hours. No. It's about actually accomplishing things, doing things excellently, right? That's what they say here. They, they were astonished beyond measure in verse 37, saying he does all things well. No truer words have ever been spoken. He does all things well. They echo what was said of God, right? All the way back in Genesis 1, he made everything, right? And on on that sixth day, verse 31 of Genesis 1, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. It also echoes the words of God in Mark 1, verse 11, when Jesus was baptized. Remember, the voice of God came from heaven, and he said, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus does all things well. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. At times, it doesn't seem like it. At times, it just doesn't seem like it. Right? We deal with hardship and pain and suffering. We may, we may wonder what he is doing. It might make zero sense to us. Because in this broken and fallen world, we still have trials and temptations. We have pain and sorrow. We have sickness and even death. But this was nowhere more true than at the cross. And whenever I think about this, I think of Mary. As she watched her son dying. A terrible death. A horrible, painful, torturous death. And she must have wondered what possible good could come from this. It was the worst event ever. But out of it came the greatest good ever. Right? Because out of that death of Jesus on the cross, she was forgiven of her sins. And from that death on the cross, when the perfect, holy, just, and righteous Son of God was put to death, you and I were saved. And if God can bring good out of that most terrible of evils that he can bring good out of the terrible horrible things that happen to our lives i'm not saying they're not terrible and horrible they are they are you'll see it all the time right some of us know it all too well some of us have had loved ones that have died far too early we have friends and family members 
perhaps we ask, why, God? And he doesn't answer it, but we know what the answer is not. The answer is not that he doesn't care. The answer is not that he can't do anything. The answer is not that he is a bad God. He does all things well. So even though we don't understand it, we look to him and we trust in him. Verse 37, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Chris touched on this earlier, the whole fact that this was a picture of Jesus' kingdom coming. Right? It was the, the picture of the Messiah's return. He would, he would bring healing. It's a quote from our uh, Unison Scripture reading, right? which interestingly enough, Isaiah 35 comes right after Isaiah 34. It's crazy how he did it that way. But Isaiah 34 is a prophecy of judgment, saying that, that they, the nations have been devoted to their destruction, and God had given them over to their slaughter. And read it on your own, but it goes into the judgment that they deserved and the judgment that we deserve. But then right on the heels of that, right after that judgment, right after that proclamation, comes this prophecy of grace that indeed the Messiah will come. He will bring deliverance. He will bring salvation. We see here Jesus charged them on that occasion to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. He didn't want to be known as just a, a wonder worker. But they couldn't keep it in. What they had seen was so amazing, they just had to tell others. You better believe that this man who was healed, the deaf mute who now was no longer deaf and no longer mute, he zealously proclaimed what the Lord had done. Because after all, what had the healing of his deafness done but enabled him to hear the gospel? And the healing of his tongue had enabled him to proclaim the gospel. And so too, our ears have been made able to hear. Our tongues have been made able to speak. And so we must proclaim the good news as well. It must be part of our lives. It must be part of our, our life's pattern. Let us proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever we go, to whomever we meet. Let us proclaim the greatness of him who does all things well. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we... We thank you that you are a, a wonder-working God, indeed, but that you are not just a miracle worker. You are a, a God who brings salvation. The miracles, the wonders, the amazing things that we behold are there but to point us to the greater truth that our salvation can be found only in you, that you are a gracious God who treats us not as we deserve, but who treats us with mercy. Help us to know this truth deeply in our hearts and help us to share this truth with others. To your glory now and forever, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.